Dr. Randy Clark is here with us today, and many of you know him, but, but we have so many new people, I realize many don't. Um, in 1994, uh, Randy was a, a pastor of a small vineyard church in southern Illinois, and, he, and there was an outbreak of the Holy Spirit at some meetings he spoke at. He was invited to the Toronto airport vineyard, and God poured out his spirit and ignited a movement that has flowed all over the world like a mighty river. And we, you know, we got, we got inundated with this river as a church in 1994, and, you know, we've, st we've stayed there, but I just wanted to say that our speaker today is, he's a friend, and all our, all our speakers are friends, but he is, he's a general in everything God's doing, and we're really honored to have him. We, we, we really met him personally in 1995, and he's been coming and speaking and ministering to us ever since. Their family moved from St. Louis here. It's amazing, but over these intervening years, Randy has spoken to literally millions of people. He's equipped hundreds of thousands of people, and in, uh, the, in ministry, he's, bit, he's spoken in over 55 countries, or, at least, or maybe exactly 55 countries. He's written more than 40 books. Um, the American Catholic Church considers him the most influential Protestant that has helped bring renewal and revival into the, into the Roman Catholic Church. A major reform denomination in the Netherlands had him come in specifically to move out of cessationist theology that the gifts of the Spirit are no longer moving today and release a move of the Spirit into their people there. <laughs> you know, he's um, originally a Baptist uh, a Baptist pastor, he's spoken at the largest Baptist church in Brazil, the largest Baptist church in Argentina, and the largest Baptist church in South Africa, and we could go on and on and on about all of these things. I just want you to know it's a real honor and privilege to have Randy here with us today, and in addition to that, while he's doing all that, somehow he uh, established Global Awakening Theological Seminary, and many other, many other things, but he's here today to bring us the good news and to release the Holy Spirit. Would you stand and greet our friend, Dr. Randy Clark. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. It's not very often you meet the senior pastor who's at the church for the first time in their life. <laughs> you had a lot of support. I saw this, all the love. And <laughs> you know, I um, would like to know, I am excited about the seminary uh, Charles spoke up. One of my disappointments was I wasn't able to recruit him because he's brilliant. And, uh, but we have over 100 students in the master's program, different master's program. And this October's next week, or next Monday, I guess, we start orientation for the doctoral program. We have 22 uh, doctoral students, about half of the doctoral ministry and the other half of the doctor's theology. And... Uh, 10 or 15 more already lined up for next year. So for just getting started, God has really blessed us. I'm so grateful, so thankful. It seemed like when we moved from um, St. Louis to, to um, Pennsylvania to this area, uh, things shifted in our ministry and just exploded in a very good way. And so we're very appreciative of it and so glad to be here and so uh, close um, geographically and relationally, since my son-in-law is your worship leader, or one of your worship leaders, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's exciting. All my family, basically, is a part of the church. Uh, I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of uh, 
oh, I just realized, Charles, we don't have the clock going back there, like, so I'll know where I'm at. So that is dangerous not to have a clock on me, I tell you. You don't want to do that. So um, I'm going to talk to you about the subject of the apostolic role in equipping disciples or equipping the believers. And in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 11 through 13, it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, that verse says many things, but one of the things it says is that these gifts that he mentioned that Jesus gave, it's talking about Jesus when he ascended, he gave, it's speaking about Jesus. These four to five, because some people think the pastor teacher is the same thing, but others think they're separate, um, are called doma gifts. It's a Greek word for doma. They're different from the charismatic gift in 1 Corinthians 12, that they are actually people that have been given to, for a purpose. And the purpose is to mature the believers, to equip the believers and cause them to mature and come into the full nature, the fullness of stature of Christ, which it hasn't happened yet. And that uh, is our job until Jesus comes back. Since that's our job since Jesus came back, and he said that these four to five offices were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. They were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. My question is this. I understand how pastors do that with the teaching and pastoring because sometimes like in a larger church, you have multiple pastors as, as such as you and you have the teacher. I understand how caring for you and teaching you helps equip you. I understand how the evangelist is supposed to help you learn how to evangelize and also gather new people into the body for continued to equip them. They, and I understand how the prophets can actually help by speaking into sometimes your life. I know that the major decisions and major moves of my life and the biggest decisions uh, it seems like every one of them was accompanied by a prophetic words and prophecy coming from outside the family and outside my local church to also inside family and inside local church. So I see how the prophetic helps. Many denominations have reduced the, these five-fold offices to two-fold. In the, in the Reformation, it was actually... Only two that was left, pastor, teacher. They didn't believe that the evangelist gift, the prophetic gift, or the apostolic gift continued. Um, however, John Calvin himself said, if you're going into an area where there's no established church at all, like a, a region, a country, part of it, uh, you could expect God to restore all of these gifts until the church is established. And once the church is established, then they'll stop again. You'll be stuck with the two. Now, I, I actually disagree with that. I believe they are all five are supposed to continue. But the question then is this. What, is, what are the apostles supposed to do in order to help equip the saints for the work of ministry? What is it that seems to be um, not necessarily unique, but especially one of their, where they're the most utilized? And I would like to focus on that. And focus on the job of the apostolic is to equip the saints. So, in what way? Uh, I'd also like to say that when I first, when I was 32 years old, and I was at a conference in Texas, I met John Wimber for the first time in my life. I had, a, I was a Baptist pastor, knew nothing hardly about the Holy Spirit and or gifts of the Spirit, and. Um, didn't know there were such things as apostles, and, or I'd never met a prophet hardly, and well, I hadn't. And, uh, uh, and when I met him, he prophesied to me that there was a call on my life that God was going to send me uh, to the nations 
to lay hands on and pray for and activate and impart, to be used, that God would do it, but I would be used, uh, the believers. Now, he heard that audibly. He only heard five times in his life the audible voice of God, and two of them were the first two times we met, which was the same message. And as a result of that, when I was the only one on the council who had, I mean, the church I was starting was smaller than most people's staffs. So I, I was confused. Why am I here? And that's when um, Blaine Cook, who was his right arm guy, told me, he said, it's not what you have, it's what God's going to do with you one day. And, I, and that's when I heard about this audible voice thing that John had heard and that he believed that there was an apostolic call on my life. The confusing thing, however, was that though John believed in the function and the, the adjective, he didn't believe in the noun, you could be apostolic but not an apostle. And that was a little bit confusing. But any, be that as it may, I wanted to say that I know that we are to equip the saints. So I, I want to equip you and I don't have time to equip you today, but I want to do the best thing I can. And that is, if you want, you know, because in, in Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, it said, all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or do or obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So one of the things the apostles were told to do was to teach the church, teach the believers that they were going to baptize to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, in that, some of the major things we are, are to know how to do is to lead someone to Jesus. I don't have time to teach you that. However, this book is one of my favorite books out of the 40 I've written because it's the only one that really focuses entirely on Jesus, on the cross, and the benefits of his cross. And if you may have, if you'd like to know, how can I lead someone to the Lord? I need to understand more of the reasons why Jesus had, had to die. This will help you. 16 understandings of the cross, not contradictory, but complementary. And in the very back, from about 165 to, one, uh, to 170, is a short explanation of the gospel that I often would use uh, when I was talking to people leading them to Jesus. And even on page 170, there's a prayer. And if you say, I'm not sure if I myself have been born of the Spirit, this could be very, very helpful, not only to you in that sense, but helping you be a better at leading people, a better witness and leading people to Jesus. So for that reason, I'd encourage you to look at this. Now, you're also to be taught how to pray for the sick. That's the top of the list. Cast out demons and heal the sick. That, that's part of discipleship. I don't care how much scripture you've memorized. If you don't know how to do that, you've not, no one's, you've not been fully made into a disciple yet. Our job is to equip you. And we, we have committed our whole life to equipping the saints. That, uh, what our schools are about, it's what our, um, everything we do. So in this book, Power to Heal, along with another one's out there called Healing Breakthrough, we talk about how to pray for the sick, how to get words of knowledge, um, how to... There's an, it's, I don't think it's out there, but I have another on deliverance. But anyway, that's, this will help you. Now... I don't have time today to build the biblical foundation with all the scriptures that deal, or all the stories that deals with impartation or activation. And often the act, well, I'd say almost all the time, the activation happens with an impartation. However, I said it almost because it's not always that way. Sometimes just the information, just the knowing how to recognize God speaking to you, showing you something. And it, it's, it's sometimes, if you don't know how to recognize the way he does that, it can be happening and you just don't know it. And so this will be uh, very helpful as far as understanding the biblical basis for um, impartation and activation. It's called There Is More. And then this last book came out August the 3rd of this year, Intimacy with God, Cultivating a Life of Deep Friendship Through Obedience. It's based on John 14 through 16 and Colossians 1, 27. And it deals with basically out of intimacy with God, which requires obedience to God, Jesus promises that God will, he, the Father, and the Spirit 
will make themselves known to us. They'll come to us. They'll reveal things to us. So out of intimacy that's dependent upon obedience comes revelation. The revelation is actually the basis that creates faith, and that is what then releases the gifts of power. There's actually a chain link there, how it works. Now, and in Colossians 1.27, what major one is, uh, we have this mystery which has been hidden, which has now been revealed, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the word glory is a synonym John and Paul will both use for power. So the anointing of Jesus in you by the Holy Spirit is your hope of seeing power come through you as well as receiving a glorified body. Now, I just want to say one more thing about this. How does this book tie into today's message? Well, it's one thing for me to tell you in general how you get words of knowledge, but this book is full of illustrations because I'd written it, but I wasn't satisfied because I said it needs illustrations, but I didn't want to just use me. And so I, I was teaching a class at the seminary on physical healing, and they all had to turn in two case studies a week. And so I picked from my students case studies that they had in an eight-week course in the middle of COVID, which was challenging <laughs> to get a word of knowledge for somebody when you weren't seeing hardly anybody. And, but I'm telling you, I cr literally cried when I was so touched by the grace of God on some of these stories. I, it caused me to weep. And so when you study their case studies, which is, are the illustrations, it'll tell you, this is how the revelation came. This is how I acted on it. This is how I tried to decide, was it God or not? And this is what happened. Those illustrations are so, they're like gold. Because it's one thing to just say a statement like you can feel it. But it's another thing to take it from there and go on, how do you process it? And that's in this. So if you're, we did this last service, want to do it again. Uh, if you're 29 or, or younger, you can come take one of these. Okay. You know why they have it and you don't? If you're 29 or younger, they wanted it more. All right, let's begin the message now. We want to focus on what were some ways the New Testament apostles were involved in equipping the saints. What were some of the ways, and particularly in what ways were almost unique to them? And there are basically two I want to talk about this morning, and that is they were used in impartation when people were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were used in activation of gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, they were not the only ones, but they were the primary ones. We see it in Acts 8 for a biblical foundation here. Acts 8, Philip's preached, the miracles took place, they believed, they were baptized, but the Spirit had not yet come upon them. Peter and John show up, lay hands on them, and the Spirit falls upon them, and Simon the sorcerer says, I want, get, I want to give you money so that whoever I lay my hands on will receive the Holy Spirit. You could tell it was happening every time. In Acts 10, Cornelius' household, when Cornelius' household receives Jesus, born again, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're speaking in tongues, and the apostle Peter was the one who was bringing them the message when that occurred. In Acts chapter 19, that was Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 19, the 12 disciples, I believe, of John the Baptist, because they hadn't yet heard that there was such thing as the Holy Spirit, uh, he, they, he, Paul's speaking to them. He realizes they n are not fully instructed, so he knows there's something missing. He takes them aside, teaches them, and then baptizes them because they had not had a Christian baptism, in my opinion yet, because they'd had just the baptism of John. So he baptizes them, and then after he's baptized them, after they believe and he's baptized, he lays his hands on them, and when he does, they begin speaking tongues and prophesy. 
gifts were activated, and the time they were filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. Now, when we see gifts being activated in context that maybe it wasn't when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, Second uh, Timothy chapter one verse six, Paul writes to Timothy, "Fan in the flame the gift of God that's within you through the laying on of my hands." And in Romans chapter one verse eleven to the Roman church. He wrote, I wanted to come to you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. And then he realized that could sound a little braggadocious. So he says, or rather that we might be encouraged by one another's faith. I believe the apostle Paul understood because of Colossians 1.29, where it says, for we labor with all his energy that works so mightily within us. You see, He understood that what was happening was the power of God and God's energy that was within him. But he labored, or as a word also used, it's like we wrestled with all his energy that worked so mightily through us or in us. So this is kind of the biblical basis for this understanding of how God uses apostolic, particularly now, when that's looking at back to the New Testament time. The question next I want to raise is when we look at liturgical churches like the Roman Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, um, the United Methodist Church, the Episcopal Church, the Anglican churches, um, what is the role of the bishops? Now, you say, well, that's not an apostle. You said bishop. You just switched. Well, in the second century, the church, in, in a way to honor, I guess, the, the 12, they no longer used the name apostle. But they said that the ministry and the work of the apostles was continued through the succession of the bishops. And the bishop is, was not the same term that we would use for an elder and a bishop because they're used interchangeably in New Testament itself. But the beginning of the second century, bishops were like the lead senior leader over a whole city and all the churches in that city and, and, and surrounding region. They were um, key leaders and they had governmental authority. Um, they were to protect the faith from heresy. These were all responsibilities. But two other responsibilities that we see that was what I just talked about from the New Testament continued up to this day. Not only in the second century, but in the 21st century, if you go online and look up the responsibilities of bishops, you will read that they are to protect uh, against heresy, uh, protect the faith once we're all delivered to the saints, and they are uh, to uh, have responsibility in governing the leaders of of the church, uh, the churches under them. But they are the ones, one of the responsibilities is when it comes to confirmation, those that were baptized maybe as babies and now 11, 12, 13, whatever, uh, they have gone through catechism and now they're being confirmed and the faith of their parents is now their faith. When the bishop come to lay hands on them, the theology is it is to stir up the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were given at the time of infant baptism but have been lying dormant, so to speak. It was, as one Catholic leader said, and I've seen Baptists use the same illustration, uh, is like there was a glass of of milk, chocolate was poured into it, it fell to the bottom and stayed at the bottom until the bishop come and laid his hands on you, and then it stirred it up. And what was already yours now comes in the manifestation. This was kind of the theology, or is the theology. Now, they also say that that takes place on the basis of whether or not you have faith. It's not automatic. There needs to be a response of the person's faith. And I recently spoke with a bit, I'm actually gonna go to a uh, diocese of the Roman Catholic Church (laughs) before next Pentecost this coming year. And it's been in plan for two years. And the bishop said, I want you to do what you just did here I want, and, and what you do for the Protestants, I want you to do for my 160-some-odd Catholic priest of my diocese, and I want you to come in, I want you to lay hands on them, I want you to pray for them, I want you to teach them, 
And I'm excited because I believe what could happen if we have a major blowout there like happened at the regional meeting when we went there, which was a pre predecessor to going to Toronto, and then what happened there. To see something like that happen again in the Catholic Church would be such an exciting thing uh, for me. But I said that to say this, I realized I was chasing a rabbit there a little bit. So when I talked to him at a meeting we did in Cleveland, Ohio, where he was the first person to get healed, the bishop. I mean, that was amazing. Only God could set that up. You know, we're, we go for healing. The first person healed is the bishop. And so we were meeting and talking about coming the next year and, and praying and teaching the priest and praying and laying hands on him. And I said, you know, I know you want to see more when you lay your hands. You want to see the reality of the theology, just not the theology. He said, that's right, I do. I said, then we need to not just have your priest there. We need to have your catechist there for the whole diocese. All the people who teach us the catechism needs to be there because they need to know how important their role is because there needs to be a teaching of expectation to cause expectation so that the people who are getting hands laid upon them have an expectation of what can happen. And he said, yes. So pray about that. That, that can work out. Now, the reason why I said that is because I love church history, and I have written a book on baptizing the Spirit that goes into the importance all the way through the history of the church of what we're talking about today. And this is from Tertullian, who is one of the three or two most famous theologians of the first thousand years of the church. And this is what he said. Regarding water baptism and its relationship to spirit baptism. Now, you're going to find out that the Catholic Church doesn't believe you get everything it wants. It believes that there's a separation. There's a subsequence doctrine here. Quoting Tertullian, I do not mean to say that we obtain the Holy Spirit in the water, but having been cleansed in the water, we are being prepared under the angel for the, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit. Now that is often, is, many people interpret the angel there, is the bishop himself. And then Tertullian instructed the catechumens preparing for baptism. This is what he instructed them. Quote, therefore, you blessed ones for whom the grace of God is waiting. When you come up from the most sacred bath of the new birth, when you spread out your hands for the first time in your mother's house with your brethren, ask your father, the Holy Spirit, ask God, ask your father, ask your Lord for the special gift of his inheritance, the distributed charisms, or we'd use the word gifts, the multiple gifts of the Holy Spirit. Ask, he says, and you shall receive. So this is the letter he sends to the people who are about to be baptized the next day and says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to know that you're about to inherit this great inheritance. These gifts are yours. Lift up your hands in faith and ask the Father to pour out these gifts upon you. And so I, <laughs> I shared that with the bishop and I said, we got to get this back in to where the people who are about to be baptized are about to be confirmed I mean, believe in an expectant way for the gifts to be stirred up in them. Well, having looked at what the apostles did in the New Testament and now looked at what the bishops do today, understanding that the bishops seem to be successors of the apostles, that they're laying their hands and storing up the gifts of the Spirit and also to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, they were responsible to teach the new believers how to obey everything Jesus had commanded them, which we've already mentioned. So, in the last few minutes, 10 minutes, I want to do three things this morning. I want to teach on how to recognize a word of knowledge which is so important to have a real breakthrough in physical healing. I believe that this is key 
It helps build so much faith. I want to teach you on how you can recognize. Now, you say, well, how's, what's that going to do? When I was, like I said, 32, I called the vineyard because they, I, I thought somebody in my church was going to die before they got there to do the healing school because I don't know how to pray for the sick. I don't know anything about how to get a word of knowledge or anything like that. So I called this guy and he says, do you, uh, do you believe in words of knowledge? I said, sure I do. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 8. He said, well, it's good you know the address. Do you know how to receive one? I said, no, I only know the address. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, Randy, this is, this is based on a sociological study that we have done with hundreds of people in our church that flow in word of knowledge. We just categorized the way they got them. There were five. I'm going to give you nine because it means we're growing. The five that he told me were that you can, and, he, and by the way, this was like a five-minute discussion, no illustrations, and within the week, within a week of getting this information, without any hands laid on me, I had my first two words of knowledge, resulting in healings. But then when the, the team came and the, we had this teaching on impartation, my church exploded into prophecy and words of knowledge and healing. Having seen almost none for eight years, we saw more in three days than we would, had seen in eight years. And then we just began to grow. And so this information, part of the, of the apostolic role is teaching, um, but it's also believing in laying on of hands. So in the teaching part, I want to explain what they told me. You can feel it. It's a feel of pain. It's not your pain. They meant it physically, but I'd also like to expand that and say, you can feel it emotionally. Like you can get around with some, all of a sudden you feel anxious or maybe hopeless or depressed, but it's not you. You're actually picking up on somebody close to you. That's what they're feeling. So this thing of feeling is not just feeling the physical pain. It's feeling uh, other things emotionally and even mental, mental confusion things. It can, you can feel it. You can think it. It's a word, a thought that comes to your mind. You weren't trying to think about it. It just came into your mind. You can, so you can feel it. You can think it. You can see it. It can be like a daydream and you see it in your daydream or it can be an open vision. 99% of the time for most people, it's a daydream and 1% is like an open vision. That's not that many people have, have that. And it doesn't mean it's better if you have the open vision than, than it does if you see it like a daydream. Because it takes more faith to speak out what you saw if you saw it as a daydream than it does if it's an open vision. So both are good and both are from God, but don't belittle the fact that you may just see it as a mental picture. Sometimes you'll see it like a movie, how somebody got hurt. Sometimes he will show you what's about to happen to warn you. I had a friend, he was a Baptist pastor, a friend of mine. He had a, this thing that came to him and he saw a, a coming around this curve, a truck passing and a head-on collision. Well, he realized uh, sometime later, this is what I saw in that vision. And he just jerked his car, pulled it off the side of the road and around that curve came that truck and he would have had a head-on collision. But God had warned him in that, and, and, and because he took it seriously, it saved his life. So, so Paul Ung is a, a leading apostle in Cambodia. His daughter Sarah was sharing with me one time that her dad believed hearing the voice of God is a matter of life and death. For, him, for them, it were during the Khmer Rouge and the great uh, genocide in Cambodia, when they were trying to escape, they were only like 15, 20 kilometers from the Thai border to safety. And her dad had an impression, stop and go back, which you're that close to freedom. Many of the people didn't believe him. And they went ahead. And it didn't take long to where they heard the guns, machine guns, opening up as they walked right into a massacre and they were all killed. So for him, in two or three times, she told me two or three stories like that, it was, it, it was those impressions that literally meant life and death. Now, for us, it may not be that serious yet, but we don't ever know what it could be in the future. But I do know that God does lead, and this is one of the ways he leads it's a, we think it. Um, we see it. I've already talked about that. Um, we read it. I've never had this one, but I had a coal miner who'd see words. I had a civil engineer in my church. 
He'd see words. I had a school teacher, my secretary, volunteer secretary. She would see words written on people, cross, you know, like Miss America, Mr. Universe, you know, uh, on above their head, on their forehead, you know, literally would see words they could read. I've never had that, but I thank God for it, for other people who do. Um, you can say it. It's like you're praying for somebody or you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden you say something you didn't intend to say and it literally opens them up. It's like, I didn't mean to say that. Where did that come from? And they're crying. How did you know? I didn't know it. I heard it when you heard it, you know. But it's one of the ways that God's work. We call it inspired speech. Um, You can dream it. I didn't know. This is obviously one that um, I didn't hear from when I called the vineyard. This is one I learned. I went to see uh, Heidi Baker in Mozambique, and I was interviewing two guys that between the, actually three guys, and between the three of them, they'd, they'd seen eight people raised from the dead. And at the end of the interview, which was over an hour, I asked them, how do you get words of knowledge? Do you feel them, think them, see them, say them, uh, uh, dream them, or not dream them, another? And they said, oh, well, we, don't, we don't get most of them that way. I said, then how do you get them? That's the only way I know you get words of knowledge. Said, we dream them. And I said, well, how does that work? I'm curious. He said, well, we have a dream, and then we find ourselves what we saw in the dream, and we know what to do. I said, okay. Two weeks later, I'm in Brazil, and I get this dream. I would have ignored it before. I would not have thought anything about it had it not been for that discussion where I learned this is another way God can speak to you. And in the dream, I just saw two hands like this, big scars right here, and something stuck in uh, coming out that far above the palms, about two inches above palms. I wasn't sure it's God because I've never had a word like that. I wrote it down and the next day I, I gave it last. I said, I'm not sure this is God, but this is what I saw. And a guy jumped up from the back row, walked real fast around to the front, got his hand open. I can see his huge scar from here all the way around to here. And he puts his hand in mine. And before I can say, come Holy Spirit, it's, it, I didn't know his hand was paralyzed and couldn't close it. It's already healed. He said, I knew that was mine. And, I, and you know what I said when that happened that fast? I said, God, that was easy. Let's have more of those. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that was good. And I, and, I, and I pulled together three interns. I had three interns at the time, Timothy and Chris and Annie Byrne. And I told them, guys, listen, you, I got that word by, by a dream. I just, I want, I want to tell you. I told them what I just told you about dreams. I said, pay attention to your dreams. Well, anyway, the guy told me, he came up and he said, I had, when you said it stuck in and stuck out, oh, that's what happened. It cut my nerve in two. It cut my artery in two. And it caused me, it was really a bad scar. He said, I knew that was me. And that preciseness of what I saw caused him to have the gift of faith. So when he came up and got healed, he didn't get healed because of my faith. He got healed because of the gift of faith in him that was caused by that word of knowledge. So it it can be very important. And by the way, that night, Annie had a dream. I don't have time to go into it, but that dream was so specific, and it caused another guy who had severely injured to get healed. However, she didn't give it because she was afraid it wasn't God. But God in his mercy made sure that out of the, each, everybody had about 50 people on my team to pray for. That guy that has that condition, she did not give. When he gives her, you know, does, do the interview, how'd you get hurt? It was exactly what she had seen in the dream and she told him. It took both of them into faith. So it can be a dream. You can experience it. A weird experience. Or you just know because of the timing, it's God. I I don't have time to explain that one. Another one, you can smell it. I've never had this one either, but I have friends who do. Like somebody, maybe they're addicted to marijuana. And for some of you, you wouldn't know what that smell is, but others would. And, and so you detect, oh, I know what that is. And you could say, you maybe this guy struggle, or maybe they're struggling with alcoholism. Or maybe they want to quit the addiction to nicotine. And, and you, it's not the natural smell that's there. It's not because they smell like a cigarette. You just smell it. Even though they don't smell it, they don't have that smell. Because God wants to do something and lets you know. So it can be many things. Now... So I've, one of three things, one was to teach, I just did that. Second thing I want to do is I want to pray for the gifts of healing to be released and at the same time pray 
for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit who maybe haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit in their life. Born of the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit, but they've never been filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. I remember in standing right here years ago, and I was preaching uh, about uh, receiving and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And on, in the second row, right in front of me, right in that empty seat, right there between you two young ladies, was Todd White. And he had been praying for healing for about 700 people, but nobody had been healed yet. And the power of God hits him. And he starts sweating, shaking, fell between the two, se- two rows of seats, and he's shaking violently, and he's making a lot of noise. And I'm just curious, I, lo- I love to watch this when it happens. So I got down and walked over to the, and looked at him. He said, get away from me, get away from me, get away from me. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna, he's yelling it out, I'm gonna die. And I love it. And I said, you're not going to die. Nobody's died yet. More, Lord. More. (laughs) Now, later I heard Todd share this in a meeting where he had come to join me. And he was sharing that story. And he told that within that week, he prayed and saw the first person healed, a guy with a back problem with a dump truck issue where he was working. What Todd didn't know was because Charity Cook, who works for me, told me that Todd doesn't know this. He didn't get out of the building before somebody got healed. Because as he's walking through the vestibule, Charity's mother, who had a really bad problem with her legs or her knees, I think, was seated. And as he walked by, they just said, could you pray for me? I mean, he didn't say very much at all. I mean, it was a very short prayer didn't even know she got healed. He just prayed and walked off. When she got up, she realized, man, I've been healed. She's still, you know, healed. It was a quick response. I believe God wants to do here what Blaine Cook, who spoke at my Baptist church in March of 84, I remember, and I've, I've used this ever since then because it worked in the sense of it helps to understand what God's doing. He stood up in front of my Baptist church, and we were not charismatic. I was secretly. I I didn't want to be fired, but but they weren't. And, uh, um, And he said, I believe tonight God is going to come. And some of you, he's going to come on, and you're going to receive a gift of healing. Not for their own healing. He wasn't meaning that. You're going to receive a gift that you're noted for having a gift of healing. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. It wasn't just the apostles who moved in healing because he says apostles and prophets. And he says those who work, and teachers, those who work miracles, those who have gifts of healing. So workers of miracles and gifts of healing were also gifts in addition to the apostles, which means the apostles were not the only ones who had that, who had that gift. So he said, I believe God's going to give gifts of healing, going to release them. And some of you who have never been, never seen anybody healed in your life after tonight, you're going to see people get healed. Now that gift is, it's a, it's a, this word charismata, which it's a word for gift. It's a Greek. It's rooted in charis, which means grace. It means God gave it because of his grace. You don't earn it. You can't pay for it. It's just grace. Now, one of the things I want you to know, it doesn't come because you're better than anybody else. And though most of the time, God pours out his spirit upon those who have been asking, wanting, desiring. He also pours out his spirit upon people that sometimes are the worst Christians in the local church to emphasize this is grace because the night that, that, that Blaine said this, some of you are going to get a gift of healing. 
Because for Blaine, what he moved in more than anything was a gift for impartation, words of knowledge, and healing. And that's what he often would see the most, God doing, because he had more faith for that. So when he said, and this is our invitation this morning, if you begin to cry when we ask the Spirit to fall, and we wait, and you begin to cry, he said, I want you to come forward. He said, don't come forward just because you want to, because a lot of you are going to want to. But we need to start with who God starts with. If you begin to weep, that's the love of God. It's a great motivation for healing. If you begin to feel hot, like you're getting hot, but nobody else is getting hot. I've actually seen people sometimes sweat through their clothes twice because of the heat. And it was air conditioned. Nobody else was hot. It was a supernatural fire on them. One of them was a pastor of a large Baptist church in Brisbane. Five years later, that church baptized 900 new believers in one year because of what happened. You may feel tingling in your hands to the point they might even uh, tremble. They may just feel like they're just waking up. He said, that's a sign God wants to, to use you. You may feel like you're heavy, like it's hard to move. <laughs> I'm stuck. I can't move. I've actually, we saw a couple get saved and rededicated to me in my church one Sunday because the spirit came on them. I was on the floor. I'd been prayed for, but I fell out on the floor and I couldn't move. And I, I asked for a mic and I said, I, because I had this impression, somebody's here and you want to give your life to Jesus. The craziest service we ever had as far as bizarre, really. And um, you say, why would someone want to get saved in that? It's because they hadn't been to church in 30 years. And a couple, a young woman met them who knew them at Walmart and said, I want to invite you to come to church. And they did. They were, he was vice president of a company. They, they, they liked drugs. They especially liked marijuana. And, and uh, they came to church first time in 30 years. And they sat over there on the left, about halfway back on the far side. And while this is going on, the Spirit of God has fallen on them. And they can't get up. They, they are so heavy, they literally can't stand up. Somebody sees God on them and goes to them and asks them, yes, we want to give our life. Because I said somebody wants to give their life to the Lord, but they can't move. It was them. <laughs> we had another young woman, first time she came to church in years, really had a lot of sin in her life. She sat down visiting. We were in the school, didn't even have a church building. And when the invitation was given, she can't move. She doesn't respond because she can't get up. After the benediction is over, she's still stuck in her seat. Finally, her friend came and said, Randy, my friend is stuck. I said, what do you mean stuck? I mean, she, she can't move. She can't stand up. It's, 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 she's so heavy, she can't move. We went to her and began to talk to her. She's crying. God had arrested her. Now, as he can do that for salvation, he can do that for impartation too. Just cause his glory, kavod of God, weightiness to fall upon you. So if you feel the weight, if you feel the heat, if you feel the emotion, the tears, feel the trembling, any of those things, these are signs that God really wants you to be encouraged. And we do want you to to come forward. Now, when Blaine said that, a friend of mine who's in the back of the church who's had been on the board for seven years, but he'd only been saved really the night before when Robert Morse visited my little church and preached. And he, the guy said, I've been, I was your convert for seven years. Now, I want you to hear this. You can think you're saved and not be saved. He was on my board. I thought he was saved. I baptized him. But he realized when he heard the gospel more fully that he wasn't. And he got saved. So he met me and he said, I was your convert for seven years, but last night I became the convert of Jesus. It takes humility if you've been on the board to come forward and give your life to Jesus. When you've been on the board for seven years. He gets really saved, but he's a good Baptist. 
And he said, but I'm still mad at you because I think you're ruining the Baptist church by having a healing school in a Baptist church. And he said, I didn't believe in any of this stuff. And I was upset. And he said, I stand in the back of my hand up against the wall. When I heard this about the crying, the weeping, the shaking and all that stuff, I said, that's a bunch of bull. He said, I know more than got bull out of my mouth. Then I thought my hand had gone to sleep. I tried to wake it up, and it just gets stronger. I tried to wake it up, and it starts getting so much electricity, and it starts trembling, and then the other one starts. And then I see him coming, this guy who was against all this, coming down the middle aisle of the Baptist church, his hands is literally like this. And he's been over in the glory, and he's weeping in the love, and he's being electrified. And, you know, everything he mocked, God did it to him. All of it. Most people just get one or, but he's got it all. And he's coming down the aisle. And I am shocked because I know he's against all this. And he, he looked at me and said, help me, Randy. Help me, Randy. Help me, Randy. And I said, what's wrong, John? He said, this is the day of hard contacts in the 80s, which if you leave men too long, they hurt. And he said, my left eye, it's killing me. My contact, it's killing me. I've cried so much, my contact, and I can't get it out with my hands doing this. Help me. And I said, John, that could be a word of knowledge. And he said, you and those words of knowledge, I don't even believe in them. And right then, a 14-year-old girl in my church, whose dad won't come either because he's against the meeting, pecks him on the shoulder and says, that's my eye. I just came from the optometrist. I got to have it corrected by surgery. And he stopped shaking, just instantly stopped shaking. And this guy who's been... On less than 60 seconds in the anointing of God has already been transformed, metamorphosed from a skeptic to a minister of what he just mocked. From a mocker to a minister. And he looked at her and said, I command that eye to be straight. Now open it. No, I still close it. I command that eye to be straight. In Jesus' name, open it. Still close it. Did it five times on the fifth time. It's straight. And the next night, John and I, two of the women of the church, prayed for that girl again because we found out she had hydrocephalic condition, spinal bifida, and severe seizures. And God used not the people from the vineyard. He chose to use only us Baptists who had no experience at all. And she gets healed. Now she's got fluid going down her spine. She doesn't have to have a shunt. Now she got, has control of her bladder, 14 years old, for the first time in her life. And no more seizures. But the people came, some people came and said, I don't believe this was God. I said, why? Because he picked the wrong people. He touched John. John was really a, not a good Christian. I mean, he smoked four packs of cigarettes a day. Now, I don't, I, I, my grandpa smoked a lot. My great uncle was a Pentecost preacher and always made me mad when he told my grandpa he's only going to get that high in the rapture because he smoked. <laughs> that always made me mad as a little kid because my, my grandpa was just a real loving man. He loved Jesus, but he was, a, he was addicted and, and this was in the 60s. It, anyway, I believe you can be saved and smoke and get to heaven 15 years early. Now, I'm, I'm, I, that was in fun and teasing. I just want to say, but however, if you do want to quit, I believe that it's harder. I've had people tell me it was harder to quit the cigarettes than it was other harder, much harder drugs. It, was, it, is, it is an addiction. But I believe God can help you. He did me a long time ago, for which I'm grateful. The point I wanted to make was John was not a good candidate to deserve it. And when I asked God, you got me in trouble, why did you not touch two of the best men in our church and you touched one of the worst? He says, because I know you guys. If I only touch the best, you'll think you earned it. And you'll turn my charismata, grace-based gifts, into works of and then you become little Pharisees. 
So I touched people that everybody knows they don't deserve it, including another woman of our church named Barbara who was backslidden, doesn't even know why she came that night. So here's the good and the bad news. The good news, God wants to touch every one of you, regardless of how we deserve it or not. The bad news for some of you who may not want to be touched. God wants to touch. God could touch anybody here. So, I want to stand in the office that God has called me to. And for two days, I struggled. Two days, anxious as can be. What am I to preach? You know, I preached all the word. I've got lots of sermons. But what's, the, what's your word, Lord? What is it you want me to preach when I go to Life Center? And I was still struggling till last night. Uh, it was around 11 o'clock. Uh, I felt like the Lord said, well, what would you preach if you went to another church? I said, well, I would do what I always do. I'd use, I, I know what I'm called to do. He said, why don't you do that at Life Center? I said, okay. And then at three o'clock, I woke up this morning and up till five, praying God for God to come in this service, praying for you to receive grace and gifts, praying for his visitation, and asking for words for who he wants to touch. And I don't know how to interpret the words. I just realized I don't know if this is for healing or if this is he wants to baptize you in the spirit. He wants to, you to know he wants to give you grace or if he wants to be healing. So I'm going to give the words up front because I don't know how to interpret them. Because I know this is not a healing meeting. But I heard these um, words. Some of them, one of them does deal with healing. They may all deal with healing. I don't know. Jersey. So you may, be, may say, hey, I live in Jersey. I don't know. I'm visiting from Jersey. I don't know. But Jersey, Marvin, melanoma, Steve, tick fever, Johnson, and Gabby. I don't know what they mean. I'll just throw them out, let the Holy Spirit interpret them. So whether it's for healing or to encourage you to receive May the Holy Spirit speak to you. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands up like this. And I'm going to ask you to just take 30 seconds and ask the Lord, because it won't do you any good to ask me. I don't determine what anybody gets. That's the sovereign thing God does. I just bless what I see him doing. Tell the Lord what you'd like for him to do to you and with you, through you. Now I'm going to pray a short prayer over you and then we're going to wait for Holy Spirit. And if you begin to have any of those manifestations that I talked about, then I'd ask that you would make your way uh, to the front. Father, in Jesus' name, I bless those that are standing in front of me right now. And I pray, according to your will, that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit. Father, because of what Jesus did, so that we could be filled with your Spirit. He died, was raised, and ascended so that he could pour out the Holy Spirit. This is huge. I know it's in your will. I know it's your will to do these things. So I bless the people. I pray that your power would come upon them. I pray they'd feel not just your power, but also your love. I pray for those holy tears 
and I pray for your heat, I pray for your power, I pray for your glory to come. I pray that you would send angels on assignment. I pray that there would be a distribution of your gifts. And I pray that some who already flow in some gifts, that there would be an increase and a multiplication in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, we wait now in honor of what you're about to do. And thank you in advance for doing it. In Jesus' name. So we're just going to wait. If God's touching you in some of those ways, as you come close to the front, just leave enough room for me to get in front of you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. More, Lord. Use Charles in the same way. In Jesus' name. In the nations. More, Lord. Bless him, God. More. More of the love of God. More of the power of God. In the name of Jesus. Fill him up, God. Fill him up. More, Lord. More. More. More, Lord. We bless him. Jesus' name, more. Deeper. More, God. More, Lord. More of your love. Jesus' name, more. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We bless him, Lord. We bless him, Lord. Fill her up, Lord. Fill her up. Fill her up, Lord. Fill them up, God. We bless him. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. More, God. More. The glory, the glory. And bless the power in your hands. Jesus' name. More, God. Multiply it. Multiply it. I bless what you're doing, God. In Jesus' name. More, Lord. More, Lord. Fill them, God. Fill them, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Go deeper, Lord. Go deeper. Fill him up, God. Fill her, Lord. Fill her, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Come here. Don't move your feet. I promise not to push. Okay? I, I'm not going to push you. I won't even touch you. But don't move your feet. If you have to move your feet to keep from falling, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. Okay? All right. God, I bless her. Just come again. Come again, Lord. Fill her. More. More, Lord. We bless you. Baptism of love. Baptism of love. There it is. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. More. More. More, Lord. Fill her with your love, God. Fill her with your love. Baptism of love. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. More, God. More. Thank you, Lord. Waves of your love. Finney said, I felt... These wig, waves of liquid love. If they'd continue to come over me, wave after wave after wave, love and electricity would have died. We bless your waves of love. In Jesus' name, more, God. More, more, Lord. Fill her, God. Fill her, Lord. Fill her, God. Fill her, Lord. More. More. Fill her, Lord. Fill them, God. Fill them, Lord. Fill them, Lord. In Jesus' name. More. The glory. Let your glory. Let your glory come. Jesus' name. More, God. More, Lord. Bless them. Bless them, God. In Jesus' name. Waves of love. Waves of love. In Jesus' name. More, God. Waves of love. Waves of love. Baptism of love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. More, God. Bless them. God, we pray for gifts of healing to be released in the name and prophecy in Jesus' name. More, Lord. Words of knowledge, prophetic words, gifts of healing. More, God. More, Lord. We bless them. We bless them. Bless them, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. More, God. 
feel free to help. <laughs> more, Lord. More, God. We bless him. Waves of love. More, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Fill her, Lord. More, God. God, multiply your power. I just want to make a quick hands. mention if you multiply your power. need to leave or get your children or your teenagers, please feel free to do that. This is an official close. But if you're receiving here at this time, feel free to stay. We're going to continue to minister. We are in no rush by any means, but if you're looking for a close to get your children and do some of the things you need to do, please feel free. This is that time. But continue to receive and press in if you want to do that as well. We bless you, Life Center.